yeah, coming up with four yesterday, that was just – and even when I picked my four, I was like, ah, eh, fuck. My problem <laughs> Good is – Good enough, I guess. <laughs> my problem is I have too many, and I, <laughs> I'm going to make a change up right here. Just, <laughs> you know, kind of like, yeah, maybe even a fifth. Yeah, I know we, I know we had to be careful, Tom, so – Listen, listen to us like this is important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this is a life yeah, and death beyond, thing we're doing here. Beyond first world problems. That's what my wife said yesterday. She's like, it's really not a big deal. Like, it is a big deal. It is. That's, That's so funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Black Sheep Radio with Ben McVee and Chris Brown. Join the conversation at BSR Podcast on Facebook and at Radio underscore Sheep on Instagram and Twitter. The time has come, gentlemen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We've had. I wasted too much time on this. Too much time I spent. <laughs> like, for what it is, fuck. This shit was stressing me out more than the coronavirus. <laughs> well, trying to pick the Rushmore of front men or women across all music. We were we were talking about it. Um, we've been talking about it for about what, maybe a week, week and a half ish. Um, but we, we, we were, all of us were kind of forced to, to cram our, cram our homework last night. And, and it was, it was stressing us out all in, in, in different ways. Last um, night, last night, all week <laughs> long. What are you talking about? Last night, but well, I, I, <laughs> I had it on, I had it on my, I had it on my, on my list of like potential things that we might be able to talk about for the last week and a half or so. I think we had it on there, but yeah, um, I'm just trying to make it seem like we're more prepared than we actually <laughs> ended up being. I want to make it seem like this is a machine. <laughs> so it's Black Sheep Radio. Yep. I'm Chris Brown. Ben McVee's over there. How are you doing? Hey, buddy. Mark, we got Mark. What's going on? This is like the Mount Rushmore of podcasts. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> no, nobody wants to see my head on a Mount Rushmore. God. <laughs> they run out of rock for mine. That's for sure. Um, and is joining yep. us too, as he does on uh, every Friday. Guys, this, this one was tough. And like I was just saying before we started recording, that um, the hardest part isn't selecting numbers one, two, and three on your Mount Rushmore. It's selecting number four because that means leaving numbers five, six, and seven out. There's just way I too many to choose so, from. So so true. Like honestly, the hardest part. Like you said the hardest part is telling the people that didn't make the team, like making <laughs> those cuts. Just going to those guys and saying, you know what, Dave Grohl, I love you but you didn't make my top four. You know, <laughs> and that's hard. You know, back, back in, uh, back in, uh, when we were kids and stuff like that, you used to try it for a hockey team. And then at the end of the triads, you were given an envelope and told not to open it up until you got home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be glad to give Eddie better his envelope and not have to meet him. <laughs> he might've been cut. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, if we had to deliver the news personally, I think Henry Rollins would be on everybody's list just because nobody, would, <laughs> he'd kick everyone's ass. Ah, get out of the way. Jeez. <laughs> so we, we all came at this. Paulie did a slightly, has a slightly different criteria for his. And cool. these are acts only that you've seen. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's was my starting point. You know, I, was like, okay. I, I, I just, you know. Yeah, I think for me, the experience of seeing them in person brings so much more to the table than just having seen 
uh, a concert movie or a video or YouTube thing. You know what I mean? And yet those are still great. You know, how much yep. have I discovered watching video? Now I'm going to actually start here by telling you an, uh, uh, an experience that I had that kind of changed everything for me. And, you know, I grew up in a house where, you know, I was surrounded by a record collection that had classical music, operas, light jazz, early rock and roll, musicals, all that stuff, right? So music was ringing in my house the whole time. And I kind of adopted all of that and sort of carried it with me, you know. And I got to love songs and stuff like that. But um, the, the, tr the thing that really changed me was going to see the movie Woodstock, and I went to a repertoire theater on Young Street. I'm not sure if you remember what a repertoire theater is, but, you know, they would show five movies in one night. You know, you'd see the boob tube, and then you'd see 200 motels, and then I saw Woodstock. And the moment they changed everything was watching Joe Cocker sing with a little help from my friends. Oh, and I'm not, wow. sure if you remember the, I'm not sure if you remember the performance, but halfway through seeing that, all of a sudden, it, something takes over. And it's almost like there's electricity running through him. But the music is that he's literally living and bleeding the song out. And it pinned, I'll never forget, it pinned me to my chair. I said, oh, my God, this is what it's really all about. This is where it's no longer about the song, the song that I knew, know so well with a little help from my friends. It's about the way this guy is absolutely living in the song. And if you see him, he can't stop. So go back and watch Woodstock and go back and watch Cocker sing it. And it's unbelievable to me. And I said, that is what a singer has to be. My criteria for lead singers is that they have to be one of a kind. You know, you, when you say the name, it's like, oh, yeah, there's nobody who performs just like that. When you see them play live, this is what, about watching something live and experience. You have to, you, you can't take your eyes off of them. You know, there's a lot of singers that the band is playing and all the rest and, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay, he's singing the song, but, you know, the, the guitar, guitar player is kind of interesting or I like what they're doing over there or the explosions or the pyros all of a sudden taking over your thing, right? A lead singer has got your attention the entire time. They have a way of captivating an audience, okay? They have a way of captivating an audience. They can pick you up emotionally and sometimes confound you and just crush you at the same time. There's something about a leader of a band who can command the band. The band cannot do anything without the singer. There's something about that. They, all their cues are taken off that. It's going to help support my first one when I get to it here. A lead singer, a front man, has got to have a thing. He's got to have a move. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, Axl Rose has got a shimmy, right? And and they all got a thing about them. You know, uh, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith has got a thing that he does, his boogie that he does with a mic stand. A good lead singer has got a thing. They just don't stand at the microphone like this and say, there's got to be something more. Um, an intangible here, it's just stage presence. I don't know how, I don't know what stage presence is, but I, I do have an example that I can use is that I was at a press conference with David Bowie. And when David Bowie entered the room, it was like he filled it. You didn't even have to, you didn't have to talk. You were in the presence of something larger than life. Most lead singers don't have that. They look just like everybody else, but that person 
woman or male, when they step into, onto the stage, all of a sudden, you can't take your eyes off of them. And then finally, all lead singers, great ones, have these pin drop moments when everything seems to come to a stop. It's just like, oh my God, did we just see that? You know, it's one of those moments where your hair stands on end. So those are the criteria that I'm using for my lead singers. And I'm going to start it off with soul brother number one, the godfather of soul, uh-huh. James Brown. <laughs> James Brown. I saw him twice. And all those things I told you about the band, he was everything from dropping his hands to pitching his arm off to the way he shimmers the shimmies across the stage. And this guy, they call him the hardest working man in show business. He's unbelievable. He sweats like a dog. And it's exciting from the moment that he gets on stage to the time he finishes. Now, I told you guys I saw him play at the Imperial Ballroom in the Royal York Hotel when he was on the downside of his career. But he was playing like he was playing to a stadium, like it was important that night. And he's guiding these musicians like, damn it, keep up with me. Unbelievable. James Brown, so many people took their cue from James Brown. Everybody from Mick Jagger, well, they go on and on and on. So Mick Jagger, pretty me, James Brown is my number one pick. And strong. a solid one. Yeah, Jeez. strong. James Brown, what I always found interesting about James Brown is the the music was weird. It didn't follow traditional structure as far as soul music is concerned. A lot of it was just kind of like almost kind of what hip hop like loops you know what i mean like a, a lot of the stuff that he did but it was just like you know just give him just give james brown a foundation and a beat and just let him do the rest and he will do the rest and it'll be the craziest show you've ever seen i, I that's amazing i love james brown funk it's funk and yeah he is funk, he, yeah. he is the starting point there's no doubt about it so right. cool who's next i'll get the obvious out of the way uh, you guys all know I'm, I'm putting Gord Downey on my Mount Rushmore front men. And um, everything that Paul just said describes Gord Downey to an yep. absolute T. Uh, between the, the, the rants, the improvised rants in the middle of songs, a la Killer Whale Tank and, uh, and the apartment in Highway Girl, to the unique dance moves that he had. Nobody dances like Gord Downey, and believe me, I've tried. It is not easy. And, I mean, (laughs) the one tour he had for We Are The Same, he had a gimmick going where he had these rolled-up handkerchiefs, and people, stagehands, kept tossing them to him, and he never missed one. He'd catch them. If he missed them, he'd pick them up with his feet and, like, (laughs) flick them up in the air. The guy had a, a, a unique set of moves and an intimacy with the audience and like paul said you didn't watch the rest of the band you were there to see gord down as good as the band was you were there to see gord downey gord downey was the show and the he to me is the quintessential front man i'm not saying he's the greatest singer he wouldn't make my favorite singers list but in terms of front men i don't i don't think anybody's ever done it better so and 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 i know that sounds biased but Everything Paul just said, I agree with, and I think Gord Downey fits the bill just perfectly. So he's on my Mount Rushmore. Yep. Sometimes when, awesome. you're, when you're watching Downey, you don't know what the hell he's doing. What you know? is he doing? It's like this Mr. Microphone stand. is like he's talking to an imaginary friend when he's on stage. Meanwhile, yep. the band is roaring around him, playing whatever riff and whatever song. And meanwhile, Gord is having a conversation with his microphone stand. You know, it's doing almost, all this type of stuff. You know, it's 
it's almost uh, uh, there's a there's a couple times I'll catch it where you guys were just describing how James Brown will lead the band, and it's almost during some of those rants the band is leading Gord, and they're they're he's sort of making the words and the story and his rants and stuff sort of fit the mood of the music that the band is jamming behind him. Yep, and a lot of his improvisation is that you know Johnny Fay on drums would be picking up on what Gordy's doing. He could tell when the story's coming to a rap, and then he would add an extra beat and then on cue the band would sort of pick up the tempo yes. and lay it down a little bit and it's like when you're seeing that it's like they're they're flying by the seat of their pants and yep. even on the even on the best known songs you know the, and this is what I love about certain groups is they're able to take songs that you're so used to hearing and kind of change them and modify them on the go and if, yep. and if you really are a student of that artist you really can pick up on those little subtleties you know that's awesome alright All right. Mark you want to give her now yeah, uh, I'm for my first at least. I'm going to go with someone that I've seen I think four times. And uh, Paul, you mentioned just I mean that those moments in a show when you see them and it's almost like time stops and they're singing just to you. And uh, my first pick is Eddie Vedder. Um, I, I said I've seen him. I've seen him a few different times. The, the one that really stands out for me was seeing him at the Molson Amphitheater. It was a beautiful summer night, looking over, seeing the CN Tower, and listening to him sing Daughter and then stop halfway through, and then listening to 20,000 people singing Daughter. That is one of those, like, I mean, hair on your arms moment. That's, you know, it's just, and you're, and you're, everybody's trying to sing like Eddie Vedder because everybody can do the marbles in the mouth type singing. So everybody's trying their best to be, but then he comes back in again and then, 20,000 people realize no he's fucking Eddie Vedder I'm not Eddie Vedder he is I also find you I mean you mentioned and I never even really thought about this until you said it that leading the band type thing where he really he takes pride in in the guys that are in his band and I I remember seeing him one time uh, the opening act didn't show up they couldn't get across the border and he came out and he played about a 45 minute acoustic set and then just slowly introduced each member of the band and they jammed for like 20 minutes just introducing the band members and then started their their normal routine i know they haven't had a new great album in i don't know since fucking 10 but <laughs> you know what i mean that, that album easy alone just, now. Uh, the, the new record the new album is pretty good record it doesn't have the same thing but yes eddie, eddie vetter is eddie vetter spot number one for me you know sometimes cool. eddie vetter reminds me it's, it's like going to church something happens to you when you go there i don't want to say he's the preacher or something like that but when i go to see uh, when i go to see pearl jam and i've seen eddie play solo it's there is something that happens to you you get really emotionally evolved and, and he Absolutely. and he and he draws you in man there's there's a handful of performers that can do that but he's really something has anybody I mean, he's so musical it's crazy has yeah. anybody caught the coincidence of the name of the new record by the way gigaton yeah or gigaton well i i i when the i read the press when it came out so i know what it means but i don't think most people it probably goes past everybody you know it's not a gig backwards uh, think about it holy cow the album we, came out the tour got canceled and the album backwards is not a gig that's that's incredible because <laughs> they were saying that a gigaton is the amount of uh, water lost by the planet or the glaciers that if you could quantify the number the amount of water that's melted off the glaciers in a given year apparently it's a gigaton 
Oh, really? That's, that's uh, probably but, the, but the reason, but the coincidence. It's probably, it's probably not. I have probably bought into that piece of bullshit. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> <laughs> what you said, That's what you said, Ben. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, but yeah, no, I, I caught that. Not a gig spelled backwards. Wow. That's great. Uh, okay, so we Chris, got James got? Brown, Gord Downey, Eddie Vedder. Chris, you're first. So this is in no particular order because I had a hard enough time. Uh, getting down to four so I didn't want to put that much pressure on myself I don't have any more hair to lose um, David Bowie is okay. my first pick I would say that um, you know uh, Paul was talking about presence I think anybody that's going to be on any route Rushmore at this point especially all of us they're all going to have they're all going to have a, 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 this the, they're all going to qualify as far as stage, stage presence I'm going to assume I think with with David Bowie uh, the, the the big standouts for me um, is that he 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 personified a generation of you know people that that didn't have representation in in an era when uh it was more important than ever to be yourself and 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 uh and and embrace who you actually are i I think the impacts of of just that alone uh the way that he made it okay for people to express themselves in whatever way they want uh, is still being felt today um he he took uh, a costume and and um, you know uh, performance um, and and to an art form that, again that's still being felt uh, today um, and, and and I think I think one of the most important things that David Bowie kind of set the ground rules for I mean maybe somebody did it before him but 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 David Bowie sticks out to me is his ability to reinvent himself in in a multitude of ways. Uh, even down to, to to the to the later part of his career, when he was he was dressing up in suits and and um, you know slicking his hair back. I, I mean he he was he was a trendsetter uh, in a in a in a in a universe where, that's filled with trendsetters, and they and they all kind of took his lead. And and I, and I think um, when that's he's just he's a singular he's a singular artist that i don't think will ever exist anymore and i think part of that might be the historical context with which he was brought up in um but i still there's something to be said for the fact that um a lot of pop stars now um to this day are, are, are still kind of living off of the back of, of what David Bowie was able to establish so long ago. So he, he was, he was a lock from, from day one, uh, from, I mean, you know, from 8 PM on last night for me, as far as, <laughs> as, far as my Rushmore is concerned, for sure. Bravo. That's yeah. I mean, geez, boy, you, you brought up some great points there that I, you know, that I kind of forgot about the things he represented, his ability to change himself. Uh, he was also a great singer. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. one, thing, one thing I kind of left out of my little, my list of criteria is, Oh, you have to sing, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of I'm going to turn that on its head in just a minute here. But um, I, yeah, I was wondering if anybody took a non-vocalist and I, I figured some, somebody was gonna along the way. So, uh, by the way, yeah, Bowie's a great pick just for the, all the different incarnations the guy went through. I think Bowie's a great pick, Chris. 
Yeah, he's he's he did so many different things well. Like a lot of these guys. I mean, if you okay, so for a pop star nowadays, you have a thing and you can ride that to success. Bowie right. had fifteen of them. You know yeah. what I mean? And mm. he, re- he 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 was successful at all of them. It's it's yeah. He was a he was a shapeshifter. I remember that whole thing where he he kind of went from the Ziggy character and then he just dropped it and he says, you know, I want to do R and B. So he goes to Philly and he gets all these people and he does Young Americans. Like what? No. And that was a you know you know if you weren't there for it, it's like it's an about face, you know. And then all of a sudden he does that and then he goes to Germany and all of a sudden he's doing all this electronic based music, you know, with you know the lodger record and and low and all that and it's just totally mining a completely different field and and it goes on and on and on so yeah andy was in labyrinth (laughs) 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 let's not forget he was in labyrinth yeah damn (laughs) well played sir (laughs) polly you're up uh yes i am going to change the thing here we talked about front man or front, front woman but you didn't say they had to sing and using all the criteria that I'm having here, every time I see saw this person play, I walk out with my jaw on the ground, wondering how does one human being um, actually get through the show like this? I talked to you about earlier about Joe Cocker. Like uh, maybe I didn't say it, but it's almost like there's electricity running through this person. Hmm. They they become somebody else. This person is about this tall. They're about four foot ten and weigh almost <laughs> lucky if it's a hundred pounds and it's angus young the lead guitar player of acdc when you meet him he is a quiet little man who sips tea and smokes cigarettes and when he puts when he straps on that gibson sg he turns into a beast and when he starts to play it's Unbelievable! I've never seen anybody who walks away from an ACDC show and said, did you see the guitar player? And like, it doesn't matter who's singing, whether you saw the old footage of Bon Scott, or if you happen to be lucky enough and old enough to have seen him, or, or, or Brian Johnson. Nobody pays attention to the singer. You're watching Angus. Everybody's watching Angus. It, you know, there, there are two moments, and there's a bunch of moments in the show that he's more than just a guitar player. And, and there's, you know, the Jack where he comes out and he moons the audience and stuff like that. But he does this give and take with the audience. I mean, he will tell you that he's really emulating Chuck Berry when he's playing, using a lot of his moves. The duck, by the way, he has a move. He's got the duck walk. He's got the two legs. Mm-hmm. The chicken legs are going back and forth. <laughs> by the end of the show, he has no shirt on. I mean, it's actually kind of obscene that here is this 60 year old man who's going up on stage dressed like a schoolboy with the whole the whole kit and all that kind of stuff. But when he gets to let there be rock and a whole lot of Rosie, he just doesn't stop. When I say that electricity, he is constantly hammering on that guitar. And when he walks off the stage, he's still moving. And I've, I've met him backstage after a show and he's still, you know what I mean? It's one of the most exciting performers I have ever seen. Angus a, Young is on my Mount Rushmore. That's a tough one to argue. Brilliant. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the beginning of Polly's band, too. The beginning of Polly's band is James Brown on vocals and Angus Young on guitar. That'd be awesome. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Beyonce singing backups. And <laughs> <laughs> Neil Bird on drums. Jesus. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see Angus Young live as well. Um, and I, it's, it's, inc- it's unbelievable what that guy does. 
Like I, I don't understand how his body his hand may, an, is able to handle just the workload of of something like that at, at his age for sure. I've I've never seen anything like it either. That's the guy's incredible. He's amazing. My number two on my Mount Rushmore is the only one where I'm reaching back into the musical past. And I don't know if anybody else is going to have him, but I'm putting Jim Morrison uh, mm. up the doors on my list on my Mount Rushmore of front men. Morrison is, uh, was a, a hit or miss. I mean, if he was effed off his face, then you weren't going to get a good show. But if he was on, <laughs> you were going to get a spectacle like that nobody else has ever seen before. He was the first to me to combine uh, the ability to improv, the ability to be the focal point, the ability to sing, and just raw sexuality as a male performer. I mean, the Beatles and the Stones were kind of cute. The, the Stones had a bit of a bad boy thing. But Morrison, I think, was the first rock sex god do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. just absolute eroticism that emoted from jim morrison and the guy could command a stage like nobody's business again nobody went to see and ray banzarek is one of the best musicians to ever play the guy was incredible the, the whole band i mean john densmore robbie krieger are underrated on guitar and drums as far as i'm concerned but morrison was the show and i think he belongs i, I really really struggled with who, I wasn't going necessarily eras, but sort of a theme, I guess. And Morrison, for some reason, just seemed to fit the bill. There's a, when you listen to the, when you listen to the stuff, listen to the live, the live recordings, and there's, there's this sense of um, danger. Yeah. That you don't know, you're not quite sure what he's going to do next. And when you hear the bands talking about when they played live is that I think they kind of, part of it had to do with, you know, Morrison's sobriety, but also the other things that he's pulling in from um, that you didn't know quite what was going to happen that night. That tonight we're not quite, we're not quite sure what's going to happen when we get into um, the the big song live for them was when the music's over. Anything could happen in that song, yeah. and uh, and that really it, it's really exciting when you it's exciting to hear that kind of a performance, you know. Yeah, what's what's cool? What's cool about Jim Morrison too is like you don't know if he's gonna either play L.A. Woman or whip his dick out, you know. He said, "I did." He said, "I didn't do it." <laughs> Either way, you're seeing something you haven't seen. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> so there's my second one. I'm sticking All to right. Morrison. Oh, I love that one. That's great. Uh, for my, uh, for my second and, you know, I mean, there's, there's no really debate on this one. Uh, Paul McCartney. Now I've never seen Paul McCartney play live. I've only seen video of him playing, you know what I mean? With the Beatles and playing with wings and playing solo. I've heard him, uh, interviewed on Stern a few times and, you know, I mean, he's, if you're making a founding fathers of rock, you know what I mean? Monument. It's it's him or John Lennon or like a like a like a two face half John <laughs> Lennon's face and half uh, Paul McCartney's face because uh, the only reason I'm giving Paul McCartney sort of the lead is because of what he did after being the lead man for Wings and then being his own you know I mean yes John Lennon played music after the Beatles obviously but he wasn't he's not still playing music now now obviously there's a reason for that but uh, you know I mean Paul McCartney's uh, stood the test of time. 
even some of his new stuff, it's not bad. It sounds like it's coming from somebody that's over 70 years old, but it's not bad. And uh, he deserves to be able to put out whatever music he wants at this point because I think uh, I think he's earned it. Uh, anybody that is a sir deserves a spot on my uh, on my Mount Rushmore. So. McCartney. Uh, and then my next one is actually has to do with Paul McCartney, but I'll get to that uh, in just a little bit. Linda McCartney? This is the first one I have to take issue with simply because of the McCartney-Lennon thing. I just, mm. I, I think I brought this up because we had a lot of great comments on Facebook too. And the one from Teresa about Paul McCartney, I said, is he really the front man of the Beatles though? Is he really? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not willing. I'm not willing I'm to. Talking, I'm not willing to give it on wings and wings. Yeah, I listen. There's no no denying. I'm a huge Paul McCartney fan. I just don't know if he belongs on a front man list. But we're all entitled to our opinions. You guys can discuss. I I don't know that I'd put him there as much as I love Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Mm. I definitely put him. I'd I'd definitely put him there. I didn't pick him, but like I think that Paul McCartney was the front man of the Beatles for one um which is i mean it's a close it's a it's a it's a photo finish for sure but i definitely sympathize with or i i understand the his contribution to rock music to music in general his legacy he's still doing it i don't know i'm i'm big on legacy i'm big on longevity even though some of my picks don't necessarily reflect that Um, and, and yeah yeah uh, I, he's like the Yager. He's like the Yager of music. <laughs> <laughs> You've got John Lennon as the, the Lemieux, and he's the Yager. You know what I mean? They're both great. Mm-hmm. I'm actually looking the forward Yager to what I'm looking forward to Mark has to do next because he said it has something to kind of do with McCartney, and maybe Lennon is yeah, the yeah. next one. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that would be cheating. It's um, uh, it's Ringo. Ringo's the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Ringo. <laughs> okay, is it my is it my turn? It is. Okay. Ever. So, I I was kind of str- no, I I wouldn't say I was struggling, but like I wanted to include a woman on my Rushmore. It wasn't nice. really that much of a struggle to be honest, because um, she was on again. She was another lock that stayed on. I didn't think she was going to be a lock because there was a lot of people that were really kind of fighting to get onto the list, but it was from, from the start she was on there. Um, and it's Janis Joplin. Um, so there's a couple things, uh, with Janis Joplin, obviously, you know, her career, uh, didn't, didn't last as long as I think, you know, everybody wanted it to, obviously. Um, I, I think Janis Joplin kind of like Bowie, You'll never, you're never gonna see somebody like Janis Joplin ever again. That could be historical context, uh, but more than that, I mean, pop music nowadays and and music in general is trending towards attractive people with great voices. Um, Janis Joplin probably wouldn't have qualified for stardom nowadays i think she would have hit that 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 ceiling because of just a physical appearance that's another debate for another argument uh for for another time um i I think that um obviously she's a singular artist uh there's there's no comparing her to anybody else because what she offered was so so different than everything else And, and i think one of the main things um 
the one of the reasons why she had to be on the list is when when you ever when you ever hear any of those those people that were around her um, during during her peak. Um, or you watch any old videos of her, uh, if you ever watch that, I can't remember what it's called. There's like that, that documentary, um, where they're all on the train. Have you ever yeah. seen that? Yeah. The, yeah. um, rock and roll express. Yeah. 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 Is that it? Yeah. It was, it was an era, it was an era <clears throat> in rock music that was filled with like alpha dogs and they all kind of paid homage to Janis Joplin. They all set back, like she, she kind of. There was just this respect that she commanded from some of the most respectable artists in the world, and and I and I think especially at the time and throughout history, when when you kind of look at it as a cross section, I think, um, you know, being one of the great front women that is definitely something on stage is definitely something that plays out on stage, but backstage as well to be able to be a leader among leaders is also a, an important qualification. And I believe that she is a great example of something like that. Yeah, I agree. I'm getting an argument out of me on that. No, yeah. Yeah. no it's going to, you know, uh, the thing, um, you know, you talk about the way people kind of, respected her and all the rest is, is, you know, when she wasn't singing, when, you know, when she's off the stage, a lot of people loved her because she was um, a good person with a, a big heart. Uh, you got that sense that she was an old soul in very many ways. Musically, I think she was channeling all of her influence, all, all of her blues and blues influences and stuff like you can hear all the Billie Holidays and, and Bessie Smiths and all, all of those shouters, you know. And crooners, uh, but it's almost like she was carrying their being with her. Yeah, she's like one of a kind, man. Like I used to think, is there anybody you can sing sing like her? Not not stylistically, but from in here, you know, in mm. in the great deep down in the in the chest. This is it's a great reference point. Is if you get a chance to see the the concerts at Monterey. And Janice is up singing. Is it summertime? I think it is. And the the camera goes to the crowd and there's Cass Elliot of the Mamas and the Papas and she's going, oh, wow, did you just see that? And it's like, yeah, that was unbelievable. I'm not sure if it's Ball and Chain or Summertime or one of those two. So I think it's Ball and Chain. It's just like, oh, like beat that, you know? So that's a great pick, Janice. I forgot about her. I'm I'm relieved. Like, there's a couple names that have come up already where it's like, okay, whew, thank God they got mentioned. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Janis Joplin yeah. definitely. Like, I, I I didn't put her on mine, but she's that's that's a legit pick. Polly, yeah. I think you're next. Uh, okay. Um, Has anyone changed their mind or had a second thought moment yet? Uh, a few second thought moments, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Changing the, changing the order of them. That's why, like, because I'm, like, delaying. Like, maybe I'm not going to use that person, so I'm going to hold them off till fourth. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Okay. I'm going to see, we'll see, we'll see who else doesn't get picked. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what I think is an obvious fourth and go with my third choice here, which is Prince. All right? Mm. Prince. Um Boy, you know, a lot. I think about a lot of the artists that we've all talked about. Everybody from um, David Bowie being a shapeshifter to James Brown, who I think Prince, who Prince channeled throughout the whole thing. I remember us talking about great moves and stuff like that. Man, it's interesting. I. I probably wouldn't have thought of Prince until I watched this rebroadcast of a Grammy tribute to Prince and they're playing through his song list. And I kind of 
kind of was reminded about how great he was. I got to see him twice. I got to see him on the Purple Rain tour. And, it, you know, he kept reminding me of Hendrix, you know, um, the way he played the guitar. But it's he's far more versatile than all the rest. But, again, that command of that stage. And he's singing from a place and performing from a place that, you know, I don't know where it's coming from. But on stage, it's like, you know, again, I just got my jaw on the ground. I got to see him. I got to see him much later. He played at the warehouse in Toronto when uh, he was dropping that whole I don't have a name thing. And he was kind of, well, I'm kind of Prince. I guess if you want me to be Prince. And even then, uh, even though maybe the, the records weren't as important as they were back in the in the 80s and the, in the 90s, um, I, I just go, wow, when I think about Prince, everything. So I can't, that's when I have trouble articulating. I have to be honest with you. I can't disagree with it. The guy, mm-hmm. the guy was a performer extraordinaire, underrated guitar player. And yeah, oh. I, I, I never yeah. saw him live and it's, it's on my damn it list yeah. of, I never got a chance to see him, but uh, it, it's hard to argue. The guy was a performer. Yeah, and he was what, even that Super Bowl thing he did a few years back in the rain. Right, oh, right, unbelievable. Playing Purple Rain in the rain, like in, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, right. Prince is in the Super Bowl every year. He should have done the Super Bowl halftime show every single season. Agreed. Right. There's two two things about Prince that I love is he did everything different from everybody else. For one, like I like that the just just little just even down to the details. Like I like how he has an all female band. Yeah. It was one of my favorite things. It's just like a little a little thing. And also one of the things that I love about Prince is his his dedication to the craft of songwriting and, and how he, he was just a virtuoso, like, like songwriter and all that's literally all he would do. And then there's hundreds of songs that nobody have never even seen the light of day. And and he, he was one of the most prolific. He, he released albums all the time and there's still tons of music that nobody's ever heard before, which is, I don't understand it. And it's, it's, I, I, you know, it blows my mind to this day. He, he, he became an industry unto himself. He did it on his own terms. He did not follow trends. Uh, hey, he fell out of fashion as well, too. He didn't keep up with everything that was going on. Hip-hop definitely left him behind. There's no doubt about it. He just could not do it. Uh, but, you know, his legacy stands on its own. Not arguing this one. <laughs> for sure. I'm going a little bit off the page for my uh, third entry. All right. All right. Um if you were to challenge somebody to be sexy, sinister, dark, rock and roll, bad boy image, and tell me that you were going to do it while fronting a band that is strongly based on synthesizer and keyboard, I'd say it's not possible. But Dave Gahan of Depeche Mode belongs on the Mount Rushmore all right, front ex- men. explain this to me because they're not on, they're not even on my favorite band list here, Ben. Go. <laughs> it's it's a performance that you just have to watch. It, okay. It's 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 a paradox. It it's you you think of Depeche Mode and the first thing you think of is I just can't get enough and like pop synth sort of thing, and then you see them and Dave Gahan. And, and, and I mean, let's go back to the 80s where it was sort of a default sort of thing. I'm not proud of it, but everybody's like, oh, they're gay. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like mm. back, back yeah. then when all those synth bands were, they were just gay. Everybody was, ah, Depeche Mode's gay. <laughs> well, uh, quite the opposite, actually. 
they 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 were hounds, Depeche Mode. And when you when, <laughs> when you see Dave Gahan, it, it is I like that word. <laughs> yeah, it's a great hounds. word. You 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 you. It's almost like you expect flock of seagulls to come out on stage, and it is the complete opposite. Dave Gahan is like leather clad, and. Just he, the guy owns the stage. He absolutely owns it. And his image and what he portrays and exudes on stage is the complete opposite of what you'd expect from a band like Depeche Mode. There's just something about the way he can hold an audience. And it is. It's just, it's raw, sexy, and and charisma. It's just, it's bad boy. And it's Depeche Mode. And for that reason, I got to put Dave Gahan on there. (laughs) Check out a lot. Check and and go for their more recent stuff in the last decade or so. A Depeche Mode concert is something that will blow your mind. They're fantastic. So Ben, you, I, 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 I'm open minded. Let's put it this way. And I, you confess, sometimes you can't judge anything until you experience it firsthand. You've got to be fair here. It's easy, you know. The, the this is funny when Depeche Mode came out, the Cure Cure were at the same time, and I definitely gravitate towards them more than I do Depeche Mode. That's a matter of preference, but I never got to see them. Is there, is there something I should check out, you know, so I might get it? Yeah, there's a show. Uh, I'm going to send it to you as soon as we're done. It's from Paris, and I can't remember the date on it, but I'll send it to you, and you'll get it right away. I promise okay. you. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I need some help on that one. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Dude, I don't feel bad at all about my Paul McCartney pick because Paulie wasn't like, hey, can you show me like a clip that might justify this horrible fucking choice? Hey, by the way, <laughs> you know sometimes I'm just full of shit, eh? <laughs> you can say that. You stop this, you know? <laughs> I, I had to go off the page, guys. I'll send you all. I'll I like it. I like off the page. No, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The, guy, the guy's a hell of a front man. Cool. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mentioned on my last one, uh, I mean, Paul McCartney was my pick. <laughs> For this one, I, I just, I recall an interview that I heard with Paul McCartney where he said him and a bunch of other uh, musicians were sitting in this bar in uh, in England and uh, out of the corner of the room, they just heard this fucking amp get plugged in all of a sudden. And it was very much like when he was explaining it, I was thinking of the beginning of Back to the Future where fucking Marty McFly sticks the thing into the huge amp and it's like you hear like, oh, something loud is going to be coming. Mark's third pick is Huey Lewis. (laughs) 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 It's Marty McFly from the end of Back to the Future. You see that performance? (laughs) Kick the fucking amp right over. (laughs) He he said he heard this, this guitar get plugged in and he said he heard a sound that he had never heard before come out of a guitar. And it was from Jimi Hendrix. And that was the first time he had mm. ever heard Jimi Hendrix. So I'm putting Jimi Hendrix on the list um, as I looked into it uh, more last night. Just kind of, and this will lend to my next my next pick as well. Where there Sorry, my dog's in, losing his mind. That's it. Well, because Jimi Hendrix is a great pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, because there was a change in sound all of a sudden. Jimi Hendrix introduced a new sound and a new, like, super scratchy way of playing a guitar that still sounded fantastic and uh, we have mentioned earlier uh, Woodstock performances from Joe Cogger obviously uh, Jimi Hendrix's Woodstock performances are relatively well known and uh, he just again he introduced a new sound to rock it, it changed from 
you know what I mean, the Dave Clark Five and early Beatles stuff into this more raw rock that I think lended nicely into the 70s and and lended nicely into the bands like Zeppelin and the, the bands that, that played a little bit more of a raw, dirty rock versus clean. I mean, she loves me, yeah, yeah. There was no more of that. There was more Jimi Hendrix, that Jimi Hendrix experience, basically. So that's my pick. Yeah, I remember, I still to this day remember the first time I ever heard Jimi Hendrix. Um, and I was in high school and it completely changed my entire perception of music. So I, I that, that's, that's, he's a, he's a lock. Like that's, that's, that's awesome. I love Hendrix. I, I have a, an interesting experience about how a lot of these great people that we're talking about have gotten lost, uh, in the shuffle because Hendrix is, you know, sixties. Um, I, uh, my son was having a party here one day when he was in high school. I had a whole bunch of his buddies over and I don't know why, but we always, we have a television on in our house and I'm not sure, maybe it was Woodstock. I don't know with Hendrix playing, but there's Hendrix playing and all the rest. And one of his buddies walked by and he looked at it for about, Oh, about 30 seconds. And he looked at me and said, who's that? And I'm going, <laughs> And and, and I realized, but but the point is, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, a lot of stuff does get lost. It does, you know, we take these things for granted. It's that thing is like, you know, I grew up in an era. It's like, oh, of course, you know, who the four Beatles are. It's, you know, Paul, George, Paul and (laughs) Ringer. We know the band members of every band. We know who they are. And yet to a <clears throat> generation, they're like, who the hell is this guy? And why should I really care? He looks a bit like a freak, really. You know, true, he's got true. he's yeah. got bandanas on. And he's got draped in these clothes. He looks kind of cool. But like, he looks like he's from outer space. And it's like, yeah. and basically he's saying, oh, okay. You know, but I, but I, you know, I kind of like Kanye better than this guy. And it's like, not that he said that, but you get that sense he can't relate to it. Mm-hmm. So I think this conversation we're having is a great starting point for discovery. You know, I mean, I'm, look at Ben's already yeah. got me. I got to check out. I got to check out Dave Gann of uh, of Depeche Mode because I kind of missed something along the way. And and I kind of was in radio at the beginning of my career. I was in radio when all these bands were happening, and Depeche Mode was the one band I never got to see. I mean, I saw Flock of Seagulls and I saw Duran Duran <laughs> and I saw all those great bands. I saw the Culture Club. I thought they were all cool, and uh, and I missed that one. So, and the same thing with Hendrix. It's like, God, sixties, man. Sixties was like over fifty years ago. Guys, I, I was, and you just and you just mentioned my fourth pick, Boy George. Damn it! <laughs> I can make an argument. We'll talk about yeah, him. Yeah. I can, not the greatest, but he is really something to see. I saw you, him twice. You want to talk Anyways. about things getting lost? Uh, true story. I worked with somebody. The last day radio station I worked with, uh, there was a woman who worked there. She was about 15 years younger than me, and she thought the Beatles were a three-man band. A what band? A three-man band. She thought it consisted of George, Ringo, and John Paul. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. John Paul, George yeah. and Ringo. She, she didn't know any better. And she's only 15 years younger than me. She didn't know yeah, that the Beatles no. were a four-man band. You so just, you talk about Hendrix getting lost. This is the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So this is somebody who's only 15 years younger than me. I'm 50. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. She's working at a radio station. And I mean, this is not a dumb bubblehead person. This is, I, I, was, I was gobsmacked. Like, you went, what? what? Say what? What, what? what we've been talking about an awful lot is legacy artists. And um, and it's difficult to, to make this, this current generation of music lovers find... Find what's important, what's what's great, and what's important. They can't relate to it. They didn't grow up with it. It's not their, you know, they're not hardwired to it like maybe we are. I mean, I think a lot of us are lucky because we are in radio, so we got to experience a lot. Um, but to them, it's like they just they have just moved on. My son couldn't give two shits about any of the people that we're talking about right now. He really he'll respect well, it, but you know. Well, like you said, it's what, it's 50 years ago. So if you think, you know what I mean, were people in the 1920s that were listening to big band music also listening to music from the 1870s? Probably fucking not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to, uh, I, we got to move on to our thing here, but I used to tell a story about the Tragically Hip Band. You might find this interesting. I was, I used to be invited to one of the local high schools to do Careers Day. And uh, I'm not exactly a really cool type of guy. Uh, I can talk till I'm blue in the face about how much I love my job and what I do. But you have to understand when you're standing standing in front of a bunch of grade 10, 11 students, they just they want to get out. You know, they they were told they have to do this careers day like they could give two shits. And this is before the cell phone era. So I try to make it really interesting. You know, I said my job, I'm a music director. and, And the great thing about my job is I listen to music all the time. And every week we get together, we have a music meeting. And we listen to all the new music that's going on. So today, in in this session that we're going to do, we're going to have a little music meeting. I'm going to play four songs that I'm listening to right now. And I, I just need your opinion, whether you like it or whether you don't. Hands up, you like it or doesn't. And with that, I did a uh, PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Not the annoying one, but I used slides to say, here's the band, a picture of the band, and here's the music, and they would blast this thing in the classroom for about a minute and all the rest. So I put up, I put up the classic image of the tragically hip standing in front of the bus. And before I played the music, I said, can you guys tell me who this is? Nobody. And I was kind of like, it's the fucking tragically hip, supposedly the number one rock band in the country. <laughs> And I just went, if I put up Avril Lavigne, it'd be, yeah, it's Avril Lavigne. Yeah, yeah Skeeter Boy. <laughs> and I just, and I, and I wasn't surprised in the least, but I kind of used it. It didn't do this with every artist that, who's this? You know, let's play 20 questions. Oh, who's this? Oh, it's Green Day. Correct. You got it. It wasn't like it was a contest. It was like I needed to know for myself that in spite of this 30-year legacy that the band had had, that nobody knew who they were in high school. Strange. That is why we're doing the good work today, fellas. That's right. Uh, coming up with the best years. <laughs> and uh, my last pick here is going to be uh, oh, wait, one that Chris, I, think, I don't think Chris got in with his third. Oh. No, I didn't get in with my third. Oh, shut up, Polly. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be quick because we've been uh, going for a bit. But um, my pick, my third pick, is Bob Marley. Yes. Yeah, I would say when you uh, you know Canadians obviously uh, because it's fresh and and it's Canadian we we like to talk about somebody being the voice of a nation. I don't think as great as as Gord Downey was and as as um, as as much as as the whole story of Gord Downey and, and that that final tour took over uh, Canada. 
Um, mm. Bob Marley took over Jamaica. He still he still owns Jamaica until you until you say right? bold pretty much. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just that that uh, you know, he was relevant at his time. They have he's launched an entire tourism industry off of the back of the guy's music. So that's that's just you know the legacy of him. Um, if you ever watch anything uh, any live live footage of him, uh, it's it's. The, the intensity you, you can kind of especially because it's it's music with a conscience you can you can kind of compare it somewhat to the energy that you get from in in part some of the energy that you get when you're watching like a Rage Against the Machine show um, they they bring this this political um, th- this 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 energy of of you know we have been downtrodden but we will not stand down this this communal rebel energy in music that's inherently relaxing and and meant to be listened to to a certain degree on a beach um it's it's this this crazy dichotomy between the two the two uh contrasting opposite ends of the spectrum that only he can do he's the only one that's ever done anything like that and it's the reason why he's still relevant today um so yeah he was a lock for me without a doubt yeah, who's got no some? Argument. <laughs> yeah, no I, argument. I can't. I can't touch that one at all. I mean, yeah. No, I nope. kind of like what Chris said. So it's like uh, it, it's it's um, it's feel good music, and I mean, it's the first and foremost name when you mention reggae. The first name that usually comes up is Bob Marley, right? And it's feel good music, but it's music with a message. It's like if 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 somebody had politicized the Bee Gees. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's feel good. Yeah. It's yeah. feel good music. It's got a nice rhythm to it, and it sounds good. And they're the first disco band I think of. But there's a real message there. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's it's odd. <laughs> it, it shouldn't it shouldn't work, yeah. and it only works because Bob Marley is just so talented, and and just such a good representation of everything like he's just a, it's just such a pure and honest take right like he grew up in jamaica he cares so much about his people and and their plight and and the plight of the boar all over the world it's just honest and that's why it works i think you know hmm. that's why it stood the test of time and i also would love to see them try to carve dreadlocks into the side of a mountain i feel like that would be pretty cool too <laughs> well played well played <laughs> all right paulie yeah, no, did you now paulie, before, thanks thanks before well, you go number um, four paul can i ask you did you have was this your hardest one because of the ones you oh, had to no. leave off this, this is uh, this is probably i'm probably leaving this one to the last because i to me it's obvious i kind of wanted to go with some things off the top to make it kind of interesting and you know one of my nicknames in the business that i adopted was heavy metal morris and i haven't had any heavy metal artists at all uh mm. and and the one i'm going to pick right now is you know the way gord downey is to you you may not know this springsteen is to me um uh-huh. I, 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 Springsteen boy, I, you know, I mean, I can talk about the marathon shows that run three and a half and at times have gone to four hours. But if there is an artist that has picked me up and dropped me off emotionally during the course of a show that uh, has brought me to tears and has exhilarated me, uh, walking out of a hall sweating, it's him. Uh, 
I think we kind of know what the Springsteen thing is. I There's one thing I don't like is the way that some of his fans, diehard fans, put him up on a pedestal. And he's been doing a, a, his best job that he possibly can to sort of, you know, um, deflate the myth of Bruce Springsteen. But that's not what I'm going to get into. I, I, I heard some – it's interesting – you, when you get away from the fanboys, because the fan, some people are obsessed about their favorite artists, and you really can't, really don't understand why they are so good. I was listening to an interview with um, Dallas Green of City and Color and Alexis on Fire, and he was uh, on the CBC, and he was being interviewed, and uh, they said, "Hey, um, did you see Springsteen the other night?" And he says, "Oh yeah." He says, so "What did you think?" He says. He says, man, in all the years that I perform, I'm watching this guy. And in 10 minutes, he's doing what I do in an entire show. I don't know how he gets to the other end of the show. He's physically impossible to do what this man does. And he does it every night for years on end, totally wasting his body and his voice because of the music. And whether you believe in his story and all the rest is besides the point. The fact that he's so committed to it is what is what I, is the reason that people flock to his shows all the time. You have to go see Springsteen once in your life because it is like nothing you have ever seen. It's you could say it's just rock and roll, but it's so much. It's a circus. It's an emotional ride when, especially in those days where he was telling stories about growing up and his, his run-ins with his father. If you couldn't, if you couldn't relate to that in some kind of way, then, then you must be numb. Um, and in, in later years, he kind of got away from all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, Bruce, for sure. I grew up on Springsteen. My dad is the biggest Springsteen fan there's ever been. I, I, I know every record, every song, just just because they were played. And they would be my first and foremost. Um, th- this might even be, th- this could even be a list of bands that you thought were corny when you were a kid because they were your parents' music. Mm-hmm. But then you grew up and went, oh, shit. Yeah, okay, I get it now. You know what I mean? Like, I get Springsteen now, but back then it was old guy music in the 70s when my dad was playing Darkness on the Edge of Town for the umpteenth time. Yeah. I thought, eh, but now I, I can't get enough of it. And I've, of course, never, this, seen, I've never seen him, and uh, I would love to. This is the this is the internet, of course, so you can't see what I'm going to show you guys as we're doing this on video, but this hangs above my desk. Wow. Born to Run. Oh, nice! It, it always has, and it's it's cool. it's still the record. And you know, I listen to it now, and I can hear it. And I said, "Boy, it sure sounds dated at times. It sounds almost. It can sound, if I wanted to, it can sound really corny." Uh, but Thunder Road, Born to Run, Backstreets, and Jungle Land, man, they just slay oh, me every time. You know, yeah. there's this thing that I do, and I hear Thunder Road when it gets to that. I've, I I take this album on the road with me. Do you have your Do you have your road records? Well, this one's mine. And when it comes to that point where he said, "Roll down the window and let the wind blow back your hair," yeah. and I do it every single time because you got to. I don't. It doesn't matter if it's January, but I do that every single time because it's that sense of freedom that he's singing about about getting out. 
running away from discovering yourself that is always connected with me. All right, I'm taking up too much time. I can still relate, Polly. The great music on, the window down, the wind whipping through all six of my hairs. It's fucking fucking awesome. (laughs) All right. My fourth, I'm, I'm going with my fourth here, and this was just, it was hard for me, and I think at the very end, it sort of got to me because... Um, well, I didn't see Jim Morrison, and I wanted to stick with acts that I've seen. I had to, I had to dip out on Morrison, but I, ah, oh God, this was so hard. I stuck with one that I have seen, and even if, I mean, there, there, there's a couple that I left out because I hadn't. But I'm gonna go with Tom York, of Radiohead, as my fourth frontman. Uh, on the Mount Rushmore of frontmen, Tom York. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Radiohead, but no. there is a, there's another guy who absolutely owns the stage and is sort of he is a dynamo. It's like you're watching the whole band, sort of what Polly was saying with Cocker. You're watching the music sort of radiate out of Tom York when he's performing on stage. He's fantastic, and the band is just. Nobody, nobody does what Radiohead does. They are an absolute one-off. Nobody will ever be like Radiohead. And Tom York is the perfect front man for them. Can't, yeah. can't argue. Tom, Tom York. Yeah. Tom, Tom York, I've, I've seen them live. I think Ben and I were actually at one of the same shows. And Tom York is... He was he, it was hard to keep him off my list. Um, I <laughs> he's so weird. It's yes. like the perfect. It's the it's the perfect. This is what I this is what I love about some of these these rock stars is that like there's nothing else that they could have done. Like in any other situation, Tom York would have been a complete outcast, and he would nobody right. would you know what I mean? Like, but you put them in this perfect position to be in front of an, an in front of a band in front of an audience and it's just it's like lightning in a bottle yep. it's he's amazing he's unbelievable uh, Paulie's sitting there going oh man Dave well, no, that's, Tom I mean, York Ben what uh, are you doing you know what here's the thing is I've never seen them live um, <sighs> I and it's one of those yeah it's like Paulie how could you not and it's how just yeah there's, there's there's a you know things I have I, well, I don't want to say I have everything, but I have, certainly have all those early records, mm. you know, and uh, love them. Uh, when I want to kind of go into a dark place, I <laughs> I play those records. Like, hey, let's play, <laughs> let's pull up the Nine Inch Nails and uh, Radiohead records and have some fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Karma Police on repeat, <laughs> right? Uh, um, but I, I feel like I, yeah, I've really missed something, and I know it's there. And you know, I've never really sighted anything. I have this crazy thing about Tom York. So the only thing that comes to mind is a Saturday Night Live sketch of Fred Armisen playing Tom York. He just yep. <laughs> just being a goof, like you said, he's kind of a freak. Yeah, but check I, out. I, um, I, there's a that's show. That's my homework. Check out their 2003. I'm wanting to say I think it's 2003 at Glastonbury. Check out that show. Okay, Polly, I will, uh, and you'll you'll get it. You'll Depeche Mode and Radiohead are my, is my homework this week. <laughs> yes, I'll send you the I like Depeche it. Mode too. I like it. <laughs> I knew I was going to throw you guys for a loop. That's and, good. Hey, we're down to one, and I had a hard time. Now, Chris hasn't gone yet, so nope. but I'm going to say this now, unless you spoil the party. Nobody said Freddie Mercury. 
No, but no, he's not even he's not my my fourth either. I have one left too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. You're only right. you're you're only allowed four. I, I will get to the ones I left off later and you bring one up, but yep. I'm kind of curious where we're going. Mark? Okay. All right. Uh, for me, I had, I had, I, even though I picked Eddie, I picked Eddie Vedder because I've seen him so many times and he's just such a great draw. I had to pick somebody from right. that kind of grunge nineties because that's, that was my time. So then it gets down to who am I going to pick? Am I going to pick Kurt Cobain or am I going to pick Chris Cornell? And, uh, I actually decided to go with Chris Cornell, um, as kind of a late, a late, late draft pick here, but, um, just, I mean, being the front man for obviously, uh, Soundgarden. And then being the front man again for Audio Slave, the only person, in my opinion, whose voice was strong enough to make you listen to his voice instead of Tom Morello's guitar mm-hmm. uh, in Audio Slave. I've seen performance. I've never seen him live, and obviously I never will, and that is unfortunate. But I've seen performances of him live where he just very uh, i remember last time we spoke we talked about dave grohl standing in the middle of uh you know i mean the sky dome with fifty thousand people just those types of moments with chris cornell but that voice is just i think he encapsulates a lot of the people that we mentioned earlier the the jim morrison's uh like he really brings that that old school rock but in a new way and i just his voice is is unparalleled and i i i, I mean in in terms of rock in this in this generation for me mm-hmm. at least that's my last pick I, I, and again i feel like i'm justifying it because i have so many guys behind it where it's like he's got the greatest voice in rock except for freddie mercury and this guy and this guy and this guy <laughs> you know what i mean it's, it's, it's so hard but i gotta i gotta do it chris cornell final pick yeah. done all right i love chris cornell man i think chris cornell is i don't know if he's the best voice in rock music but he's my personal favorite singer in all of like across oh, yeah. rock music um yeah that it broke my heart when i found out that the guy you know passed away like that was that was that was a sad day man i i've i love chris cornell i love that pick too that's great yeah that was my john lennon-esque moment for me because Mm. he was kind of i mean voice of when i was in my teen years and going into you know i mean early Mm -hmm. 20s so yeah (laughs) Okay. I did a. Uh, I, I met him, and I did an interview oh. with him face to face. We were in a recording studio, and it was there was gear all around us, and we literally had to sit knee to knee to do this interview. By the way, I went in scared shitless. No kidding. You know, no I. Kidding. You know, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of <laughs> a lot of great a lot of great artists over the years, and the way I kind of get around my fear. Uh, uh, the fact that these people are larger than life and my and sometimes my heroes is that I just realized they're just they're just regular people. Treat them like reg- they want to be treated like regular people. If you're going to be a fanboy, the interview is over really quickly. But it's really hard. But boy, we went in there and I was just shitting a brick. I was <laughs> pooping my pants that day, and he was really great. It was it was a good interview. It was not the best, but it was still good. But I got to meet him the voice yeah it's great you know so cool cool christopher all right my final pick this one actually was the the late addition to my list because i i added him this morning because i just thought of him um (laughs) and it's a little definitely not rock music in any way whatsoever it's it's gonna be it might come off a little out of context or it might feel like it's coming out of the blue, but I'm going to pick Frank Sinatra. I would say, 
I would say that when it comes to charisma and and stage presence, there's very few people that could stand next to Frank Sinatra. The music that he the the, the music that he created is timeless, and it, and it will be played at dinner time and at weddings until the end of time. I think. Um, I think that. Uh, I, I think one of the most remarkable things about Frank Sinatra is is how minimalist he is as far as his presentation is concerned. Um, his his present. And his, his charm and his charisma is so is so overwhelming that he really doesn't have to do anything other than hold a microphone and a rum and coke or a whiskey and coke and <laughs> and sit there and everyone's just it's just his room. You do what Frank Sinatra says. You stay quiet. You cheer when you're supposed to cheer, and that includes the audience. He had complete control over the audience in the band, mm-hmm. and. Um, one of the other things that I think is really interesting about Frank Sinatra is that his his shtick was so successful and so popular that nowadays a fucking Michael Bublé, a, a, a Frank Sinatra impersonator, is a superstar. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's so good at it that that, that 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 it's launched like careers of other people uh, because he invented it. So so I, I Frank Sinatra uh, because my family would disown me if I didn't include <laughs> somebody <laughs> Italian. <laughs> I think every, I think everybody was captivated because the mafia was forcing them to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it never keeps them in the seats for sure. Well, Chris, you know I, I started the show about the music that I grew up with, and Sinatra was in my house, and I. Told totally get it i love it i had this thing i went to university and um <laughs> two quick stories i went to university and, and you know you're in a dorm and the music pours out into the hallway and you can kind of tell where everybody's kind of come from what their favorite is and it's all over the place it could be a freaking mess one day i played queen's news of the world and a guy came up to my uh, door with a baseball bat he wanted to, <laughs> he wanted to smash the the queen album that i was playing you know and i got it uh but i put on frank sinatra live at the sands which is a real big fave of mine and it's everything that you're talking about it's frank in front of a, a casino audience with uh uh, with a big band behind him, total command of the audience, like swagger that you just and people can't say, "What the fuck are you playing?" You know, <laughs> it's like it's it's not disco, which was the music of the moment. It's not new wave. It's not rock and roll. Like, what are you doing? And I said, "This is cool shit, man. That's all I got. Just listen." And 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 by the you know the end of the month, I own the entire floor. Like they totally bought into it and all you have to do is listen to frank sing it's it's highly recommend that you watch it's it's long it's like four hours long there's a great special i think it's hbo about sinatra the good and the bad you know uh yeah. one thing that makes him different and we didn't talk about this is that sinatra is an interpretive singer frank didn't write his own songs he sang everybody else's songs and then he had these tools. He had this voice. And over the years, he smoked and he drank, and it kind of got those rough edges to it. And yet, he was able—he was able to use that to his advantage as well, too. He adapted very well. And then, like so many artists, when the Beatles and the Stones came around, rock and roll emerged in the early '60s. He kind of got lost, but that doesn't leave. Uh, there's still—it's amazing what he did. Just amazing. Yeah. 
So here's here's a rundown of, of what we've had before. We, I guess we got to wrap up with the ones that didn't quite make it. But Paul's got James Brown, Angus Young, Prince, and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Mark's, Mark's got Eddie Vedder, Paul McCartney, Jimi Hendrix, and Chris Cornell. Chris has got David Bowie, Janis Joplin, Bob Marley, and Frank Sinatra. I think you win for eclectic, dude. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got Gord Downey, Tom York, Dave Gahan, and Jim Morrison. I love them all. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. So who didn't quite make your lists? <sighs> I'm surprised, Ollie? honestly, that Elvis isn't on there somewhere. Hmm. Mm. I'm pretty yeah, surprised. He, he got a lot of honorable uh, mention on our Facebook posts. Elvis did. Dave Grohl got a lot of love. Yeah, uh, he's, he Eddie, was on my Eddie Vedder, mention. Freddie Mercury got a lot of love too. Uh, Prince yeah. got a lot Robert, of love. So Robert Plant, Mick Robert Jagger, Plant Mick Jagger. Yeah, yeah. I would say Bono got missed on that list. The one that I had a hard time leaving off is Iggy Pop. Mm. Chris had Iggy Pop when he started. I on. know. I know yeah. I had I had Iggy Pop and got for Sinatra. he got bumped for Sinatra. <laughs> that's, that's, where, that's where it stood, but yeah. that was a tough one. I he was my first pick yesterday. As soon as we said we were going to do this, I said Iggy Pop. Everybody's a carbon copy right. of him now, even if they don't know it yet. I saw, um, I, just, I, I saw Iggy Pop play. He was opening for the Pretenders, and um, he came out and he does this thing, and he's just he I, I can't. He just contorts his body, and yep. the music kind of flows through him. He's a lot of fun uh, to watch. And then the Pretenders came out, and Chrissy Hine took the stage, and she got down on her hands and knees, and she kissed the stage. And she got to the microphone and says, I just needed to kiss the stage where Iggy Pop has just performed tonight. Thank you so much, Iggy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? She, uh, The homage to him was so big and so deserving, and I just I laughed. I thought it was great, and yet it was so honest and sincere. Yeah. You mentioned Chrissy Hine. Other women, yes. that got, other women that got a mention on our Facebook page, Joan Jett and Ann Wilson got a lot of love too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My cousin said Ann Wilson to me last night when we were talking about this. Is that yeah. right? Huh? Yeah, she did. That's cool. I, voice. I, I mean, Mark was saying he wanted to get somebody in from the the grunge area uh, era of the nineties. I had a hard time leaving Scott Weiland off my list. Hmm. I saw, I, you know what? He would have been on my list, but I saw them live at uh, at first Ontario Center, like at the end of their career. Oh, when he was maybe when he was sober. I'm not sure, but honestly, we were front row. Like I reached up and grabbed his hand, and like it, it was an awesome concert yeah. from that perspective. But his performance was just and really took a lot of took a lot away because he just wasn't. He wasn't, you know, I mean, original. In, Scott his, in his prime, though, at his peak, Scott Weiland was the best front man of the night. Of all those, to me, anyway, like, it, never mind Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain and even Lane Staley, who I'd put up there. But yeah, Scott Weiland, Scott Weiland was, uh, when he was on, man, that guy was badass. He was great. Yeah, really I got, great. I, I got to see him when Sour Girl was out. And I think I might have seen the one good show that he did because he was just. <laughs> total in command he had the he had the boa going yeah. <laughs> and but it was just uh the way he shimmied across the stage he was in total command of his voice that night he was totally focused it was pretty exciting yeah yeah well uh, i wish i had seen that show mm. well it was great and i had a hard time i had a hard time and i did see him before he died Lem, lemmy i had a hard time leaving lemmy out sorry you're cutting out a bit can you say that again i sorry i i, I did get a chance to see him before he passed away lemmy I had a hard time leaving Lenny Kill Mister off my list. I mean, again, talk about a front man and personification of a band. Lenny yeah. was hard to leave off for me. 
Yeah, you no kidding. Yeah, that's very true. Listen, we didn't talk about metal in any way whatsoever. Uh, again, the guy that I work with said Ronnie James Dio, one of the greatest voices in metal. Easily could say Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, uh, Bruce, Bruce never, Dickinson got a lot of mentions, guys, on Facebook. Right, right, exactly. Sometimes the thing with some of these guys, though, is that there's they don't have a lot of stage presence for me. There's just, you know, they're great singers, technically mm. speaking. Um, but sometimes with a metal band, it's really the lead singer gets lost in the circus that's going on around them, I think. You know, Ozzy's, I'll be honest with you, Ozzy, as much of a joke as he's become, he's never let me down in concert. He finds a way of doing it. He's committed to the songs, and when he's not singing and somebody's sawing away in a guitar solo, there's Ozzy trying to get everybody to get up and let's get up and dance and go fucking crazy, as he likes to say, you know. And, and even through the like the farewell tour with Sabbath, same thing. There's this great moment. I just saw, saw, saw the Grammy Awards, and Post Malone was playing, and it's a song. Where, and heard. there there's a there's a part in the song where Ozzy sings a verse, and they got Ozzy kind of at the back of the stage. They don't want him up front. <laughs> but they got him at the back of the stage, and Ozzy nails his part, and then all of a sudden there's pyro and flames that comes up and Ozzy's in his moment. And then he raises his hands up. It's like, you know, and he gets the peace signs going. It's like, yeah, baby. <laughs> not my stage. It's not my, it's not his stage. It's my stage. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the only other one that I, that I wanted to mention is Joe Strummer from the clash. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he, he was another, he was another guy that, that really, I had a hard time keeping off. Like it should have, if I had six, he would have been on there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I got to see them, and oh, that's I, I I got to see him a couple of times when Sandinista, and I think it was I want to say it was the album with Rock the Casbah, but I think it was the Cut the Crap record. It doesn't really matter, Joe. It's just you know, it's funny. I think it Chuck D and I think it Joe Strummer at the same time. Yeah, yeah, you know, I hear and, you. And, and, and Zach De La Rocha of, uh, and Joey of uh, Rage Against Machine just fucking pissed off at everything. You know? mm, yep. <laughs> yeah. And you can hear it, you know? Yep. Pissed off at everything, but also with like the 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 vocabulary and the to, to be able to, to verbalize, you know, and everything. It's that that's yeah. one of the cool things. He 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 put it into words so perfectly. Yeah. Well, we gotta right come on. up with an idea for next Friday. Polly, thanks for hopping in, man. Good one. My fave. I love it. My favorite <laughs> right, way to spend a Friday. Right on. All right. Yeah, see you guys. See you guys. This has been another episode of Black Sheep Radio with Ben McVie and Chris Brown. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to follow, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.